Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am JJ Bull. I'm not doing an impression of Joe, but Joe is not here today because he's ill. Um, which is good because I realised on the way here that I'm wearing a blue shirt and I think he only owns one shirt and it's blue. <laughs> so that could have been disastrous. But instead of disastrous, I'm joined by the... What's the opposite of disastrous? Good? Uh, serendipitous, maybe? No, that's not really the same, is Isn't it? It's the same at all. No. Well, anyway, Alex Stewart is here. Hello, Alex. Hey, JJ. Hello. You've come all the way from Winchester. Mm-hmm. That's good. Alex is here. Seb is not here. He's away also. It's just me and Alex today. It's going to be a humdinger. Get the energy pumped up. I'm always so pumped up. Alex is pumped up. So today we're going to talk about um, Liverpool and Manchester City. They had a game. It was really fun. Uh, Manchester United and Everton. Some other teams might talk about Aberdeen. Maybe. Maybe. Might talk about PSG. Maybe. you got to stay tuned to find out. And uh, if you want to stay tuned... <laughs> So you can read The Athletic all the time because it's always there. But the best thing to do to do that is to go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO and take advantage of the wicked deal that's on at the moment, which I think is a free trial for 30 days. Free completely. And then at the end of that free trial, you can continue reading it as I would because there's some excellent stuff in there. Like today, Michael Cox has done an excellent breakdown of the Man City-Liverpool game. Uh, And I'm just reading some stuff that Phil Hay has been... Writing about Leeds, he's very informed and very nice. And so that's what you can do. What else have you been reading, Alex? Oh, um, Meg Linehan's piece on uh, abuse of female players in the NWSL was an amazing piece of reporting. Um, And it's been picked up really widely, obviously. And also it looks like it's forcing some change in the NWSL over in the States. So... That's really important stuff. Um, that uh, that does sound important. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's just a horrible piece, but it's it's worth reading because it's so powerful. Well, uh, those are some things you can read on the Athletic. Do that, and then for now, instead, what we're going to do is talk about all the games that happened this weekend that we want to talk about, and then that's what we're going to do. And I'm probably going to get better at this as we go along because right now I don't feel great. Let's get better, and uh, we're going to leave you in the warm hands and cool embrace of uh, Joe Devine's illness. Liverpool 2-2, Man City. That was the game of the weekend. My word, it was fun. I absolutely loved this game. It was so good. Sometimes I, I mean, obviously we're, we're paid to analyse football matches and explain complex tactical nuances and can occasionally do this. But every so often you watch a game where you just sit back and go, these are two really, really good teams coached by really, really good coaches, arguably the two best or two of the three best coaches in the world at the moment. Um, 
just tearing into each other and mm. it was it was exciting uh and yeah i think fun to just like sit back and enjoy it rather than massively overthink it yeah and on that note one of the things that i mean they've teared into each other to make it exciting and interesting but i think in the past what's happened with these big games is that the most sensible thing to do is one at least one of the managers tries to be defensive and take advantage of mistakes of the other mm. whereas both these teams or both those managers are just going for it so i was thinking of like Mourinho teams that were really good they would have just ground this out and made it awful to watch mm. well Even, that's that's like Tuchel how Tuchel got that result uh, the other weekend whereas this seemed to be very much two teams trying to stick to their game plan i mean obviously liverpool was slightly hampered by the absence of of Trent Alexander Arnold and and Milner coming in at right back, but in the first half, City were playing with this wonderfully controlled possession rotations, fantastic running off the ball, particularly by Foden, who I know we'll talk about in a bit. And then in the second half, Liverpool seemed to alter their defensive structure slightly, start pressing more assertively, get themselves back on the front foot, and then you know kind of really move themselves back into the game. Although they were ahead at that point, it felt like a sl- not an undeserved goal, but it felt against the run of play. Which one? The 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 Salah uh, the um, the Mane goal. The, the first op- one. Sorry, the Mane goal. Yeah, the opener. Yeah. 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 Um, it, that surprised me that it came at that point. Um, that goal was so good. Oh, it's a fantastic. The way Salah. All, all oh. of the goals were like absolutely top draw goals. The entire match I've written down here. The entire match, and this is I'm already going into video game analogies. So sorry about that. But it reminds me very much of um, the difference between current football games, like eFootball, which I've played and just switched off quite quickly, to Pro Evo 4, which I think is the best football video game ever made, uh, and how fast it is. The game was so fast. Mm. So in the morning, I think I'd watched Aberdeen versus Celtic, which was a lot slower than this. And the difference in quality, it's almost like different species of humans playing this game. They just seem so much fitter and faster, but it is like being on fast forward. End-to-end kind of like ping-pong, arcade kind of football. Uh, it made it really, really like fun to watch and uh, what was it you're saying about so Milner came in um, as a right back in here and there's something we got in the notes talking about how they were both teams are playing these underlapping or mm. yeah, underlapping fullbacks so Walker's coming inside to then have Jesus or Jesus would pull out wide and Milner was coming inside to who's going out Salah was staying out wide to get his rotations yeah and I think it was particularly noticeable with Walker and, and this is something that um, Michael Cox's piece that you mentioned earlier also picked up on that the Walker's runs in field caused this problem for Robertson. Um, for the first goal, it's like a momentary distraction. I mean, it's a stutter in Robertson's footwork and movement. But what it means is because he's going, oh, Carl Walker's running inside me, he can't then adjust his body position quickly enough to get to Jesus quickly enough to prevent the ball 100%. over. It's like no matter how organised you are, uh, and know where you're meant to be, you still have to make a sudden quick snap decision and that exactly an- alone is enough to create the chance. And because City have this ability with their rotations, because everybody is so good at filling in in different positions and because they've got players of the versatility of whether it's Walker or particularly João Cancelo coming up from fullback, it causes these problems because who is the danger person? You know, if you if you leave Cancelo and don't mark him because he's not a forward and, you know, he's still going to pop up around the top of the penalty area and deliver a, an assist that a most, you know, Premier League tens would be would be pleased of. It happened again with Walker for the um, the De Bruyne goal, where at that much 
deeper, more aggressive run from Walker pulled Robertson across. And that meant that there wasn't a Liverpool defender looking forwards towards the top of the box where De Bruyne then moved into. Robertson was able to get like a heel on it, but it fell to De Bruyne. But but it was that movement from Walker infield and so deep that caused that disruption and Liverpool's defensive setup. It's really clever. And the, yeah, and for me as well, it's not that they've been told specifically to do that all of the time, but it's the players understanding when is the time to do it. So it's to do with being in the different spaces, wing space, half space, central space. This, so, this is exactly what positional play is. Yeah. And, and at, at its best, it is that understanding. And like you were saying, the, the, the speed of, yes, there's an athleticism required for this style of football, but it's also the speed of thought to be able to look up, assess spatially where those players are, okay, well, my winger is five metres wider than I am at this point. That means that I pull two metres further to the other side Mm. or no, he's inside me. That means I have to move out and then I can move up on the overlap. And these players are processing this information at light speed and then having the physical ability to get into the right position at the right time to then technically receive a pass. And I mean, it's just like, it's so good. Yeah, some of the touches were unbelievable. There was one another tactical thing uh, I think I noticed was that Jordan Henderson particularly was moving into the last line um, to join the forwards, which is creating space for others. So there's a bit when I think Salah receives the ball in a bit of space because Henderson runs beyond him and did it a couple of times during yeah. the match, which I think is a specific instruction he was given to do. So what you see is Henderson runs beyond Salah to the last line, which means Cancelo needs to watch where he is because Cancelo realises that leaves Salah on his own. Mm. So he then adjusts to go back towards Salah. But by the time he's done that, Salah's able to go past him with the ball. And that that's this subtle little tactical bit that means that he's able to do it in the first place. Uh, but the, like, the quality on show, Salah and Foden were unbelievable. Like Foden's first touch is like a, he's like a cheat player. I mm. don't know how he does it at full speed. Yeah. And it's not that he kills the ball dead first time. It's that he takes the ball where he wants to go, no matter how hard or how high it's pinged at him. Someone made a point again, in an athletic article, and I think it may have been Tom Warville, that um, with Sterling and Grealish, you have in Sterling a player who likes to receive the ball with uh, space to run into. Mm -hmm. Grealish likes the ball that he can receive quite tight to a man, so he can then turn and immediately try and burst past that man and often draw a foul. Foden is like the midpoint. Mm. He can do both of those things. Maybe neither of them quite as well as the other two can do their thing. But the combination of the ability to either be able to run into space or to be able to take a man on tight is so effective and so dangerous. And he just seemed to be operating at as high a level as I recall seeing him. Well, this is the thing. So I've been saying for a while, and I think we talked about this earlier, is that I think Foden is in the top tier of maybe just actual players in a world football. <laughs> is that a bit of a jump? I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because the 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 kind of age range of this, you know, if you're looking at at the top tier players, there's there's the coterie of the kind of thirty somethings mm. still, where clearly you've got Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski, Benzema. I would put in there personally. Yeah. Um, Van Dyke is put in there, yeah. Yeah, Van Dyke, sure. Um, and then there's this kind of drop off in age terms to this new 
group of players that are coming through so or, or have come through so Mbappe and Haaland yeah this might be what I mean actually Mbappe, yeah. Haaland and, and when Pedri's the other one I put in I love Pedri the only reason I wouldn't say that they're as good yet well partly because they're not but also because I don't know like I think it's impossible to tell what their ceiling is like are, well, this is it. do How they much have the potential to be better what does yeah. Foden have to do to be better I, I don't know what you can I, I don't, uh, yeah, I the don't know. The one thing I noticed actually, um, I think might separate him from like the greats like Messi and that. So there's a, there's a couple of times that Foden's put through on goal and like when he takes on the goalie and tries to go around him, it doesn't. And Alisson makes a decent save, but he knows where he's going and reads it early. I think Messi scores that. I think he either chips over, maybe it's confidence, like it's like supreme mm-hmm. alien-like confidence where he just knows he can dink it over him. Or he's able to sell him slightly better to go round him, and that's the thing that Foden's missing is that that little bit of elite something which might be mental rather than physical. Yeah, but I think that's also a reflection of how other players perceive him. I mean, if you're a goalkeeper and and you're you're facing Messi one on one coming through at you, you have literally no idea what he's going to do, and you have in the back <laughs> of your mind that you're facing an alien, right? <laughs> this person is capable no of one likes that. all kinds of yeah. random stuff. And so as a goalkeeper, you're conflicted. You can't commit at any point. If a player hasn't quite reached that caliber yet, and let's face it, no other player has, um, then as a goalkeeper, maybe you back yourself a little bit more. If you're Allison, particularly, who is one of the top three goalkeepers in the world, probably top five, certainly, then you're you're going to be more confident about that. And maybe there's a kind of reflexive doubt there that then enters Foden's mind, as in he knows that like, it's that kind of backwards and forwards thing and the, you get in those dual situations. Um, and maybe that's the thing. It's like time and age will give Foden that additional bit of confidence and also other players will recognise just how good he is and they'll become more worried about him. I like that idea. Yeah, it might just be that you know, if anyone can turn him into the best player it's probably Guardiola who knew exactly how to get out of Messi yeah and all the criticism that Guardiola has received for not playing Foden every single week he's, I mean I it mean, seems that, to work that is the other difficulty yeah. is that you you look at Messi and obviously Messi's talent is sublime and and extraordinary but he was always he was very much a integral part of the incredible machine that Barcelona built across those seasons and Foden has such competition in that forward line and even in terms of playing as a central midfielder because at the moment he's going to be up against De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva who are Mm. both playing phenomenally Um, then in the front line you know you've got Jesus you've got Grealish you've got Sterling you've got Mares. you know there's there's so much competition in those roles as well like is he going to become the main guy around whom City work out how the rest of their bits fit probably not well because that's probably because he can play so many different positions and it's very useful having a left-footed left winger mm-hmm. there's not many of them that they tend to be inside forwards but Foden plays that role as a left winger but also then ends up as a centre forward and also ends up deep and also ends up on the right well it was a little bit reminiscent of of how Leroy Sané was playing for City under Pep mm-hmm. and, and then he moved to Bayern and switched back onto the right hand side so that he could cut in and and try and strike off the left but actually when he was a, a proper left winger for City he had the ability to stretch the play and of course as you were talking about before that 
football at that level is is so much about manipulating the opposition's defensive structure, particularly when the opposition has a good defensive structure uh, and a front foot one. Um, and so by staying wide left, you're automatically pulling that right fullback out. And then you can either try and go round them and attack them, or you can cut into the space that exists between the fullback and the centre-back, or you can curve your run the other way inside and attack kind of the shoulder of the centre-back. And that's the ability that Foden has. He can he can do any of those three things. You know, your classic inverted winger, which is as much a response to overlapping fullbacks or as much a part of overlapping fullbacks and getting the creativity from there as it is any inherent value in an, of, in an inverted winger. If you've got a left footer naturally on that side, they can still do a lot of that stuff. They don't turn into a cul-de-sac in quite the same way that mm-hmm. an inverted winger does. So, yeah. Well, on that exact note, talking about um, players who can do these sorts of things, Mohamed Salah is really, really good. Yeah, like, I, was, I would I would urge people to check out uh, Mundial Magazine's uh, Instagram account. There's somebody, I can't remember who, has done like a Bayer tapestry version of the Salah goal. <laughs> and it's really, it's genuinely quite funny. Well, there was something, um, I did a thing on, uh, I think it, yeah, I did something on Lionel Messi last week, I can't remember. I think it was for uh, TV IRL. And one of the things I noticed but didn't say is that when Messi plays, and on this note with Foden not going around the keeper when I think Messi would have done, and back to another video game analogy, is that the pros who play um, top games like, I don't know, even things like FIFA, Warzone is the one I can relate to most. But there are certain animations within games where... Uh, so like top pros will try and break the opponent by making like by making a move when their opponent is in an animation. So if you're in something like Warzone, which I'm talking about again, yes, uh, and say that say you know they're they're tack sprinting towards you, which means sprinting very fast. There's a slight uh, delay that, that they can return before they can return to having their gun facing at you. So if you time it so you know exactly when they're doing that, you can then go and you sort of break the game because they can't shoot you first and you mm. get them. And Messi does that in that he. Uh, seems to be able to break real life by knowing exactly what animation the opponent's going to be in so they can't adjust themselves. And Salah's goal, going around all those players, was almost exactly the same sort of thing. It's the most messy-like goal I've seen from someone who isn't messy. Yeah, absolutely that. It, it's obviously, yes, you've got that incredible physical ability, you've got balance, you've got touch and control, but at every single touch of that goal, you're at once looking at it going... When are they going to tackle him? How did and also him? going, they're never going to tackle him. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a weird, it creates this kind of strange paradox where you know that your expectation isn't going to be fulfilled because there's just something about the way he's like sinuously curving through these players as they're trying to adjust their footing and stuff. That's a good word. Though. You just look at it and go, that's really good. I like sinuously. That's a good word. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know if it applies to Bernardo Silva because I don't actually know what it means but <laughs> Bernardo Silva last thing we're going to talk about in this game uh, I saw a tweet I can't remember who said it so I'm really sorry for stealing your analysis uh, which is what I always do really um, but he is becoming or maybe already is and like a, a brilliant all-round midfielder and the tweet that I saw it suggested that he's got canty-like levels of energy and buzzing around um, helping to win the ball and he breaks up play a lot but then he has this very unique ability to dribble round and past and there was one little bit of play I think early in the first half 
when he had about three players surrounding him. The ball is never in danger of leaving his feet and he dribbled through and passed all these midfielders, turned it around, so that's a progressive carry, but under like extreme pressure. And then he's got that uh, creative number 10's vision to play the, the final ball. That's kind of, an, I mean, that's the best of both. It's, it's everything you want in a midfielder, right? Or is, it, is he missing something else? Is, would Gundogan come in instead of him next? Well, I, I think maybe Gundogan is a little more instinctive with timing those late bursts into the box. Mm-hmm. But then if you've got De Bruyne able to do that and you've got players making runs from slightly deeper, like Foden, for example, or, or Jesus, then uh, that's okay. I, I guess it's this interesting thing about Pep's ability to repurpose a player who was effectively some sort of attacker kind of a 10, kind of a wide attacker. I mean, I remember Bernardo Silva mostly playing off the right when he first came to mm-hmm. City. That may be my memory playing tricks on me. That was that, but he, um, I don't think he ever really had the output. He didn't really have the numbers. He never really hit many goals or assists or chances no, created, really. But but I again, like to what degree is Pep creating these teams for players to be able to create space that other players in a different way exploit? So it's kind of, if, if you've got that elastic ability to keep the ball at feet and and drive through people around them, then you're dragging defenders towards you. And and City like those kind of switch passes, you know, pull everyone to one side, open up a side of the pitch, get the ball across quickly. Um, I think Rodri's growth as a, as a proper defensive midfielder has really helped Pep play these kind of, you know, free eights, the the sort of eight ten hybrid where they're mm. able to push forwards and attack because Rodri looks significantly more secure in that defensive midfielder role now than he did maybe last season. Um I think there was a transition between the much more energetic, shithousey version with Fernandinho to a <laughs> more cultured distributor, but still quite a muscular one in in Rodri. Um obviously the inverted fullbacks help out there as well because you can create the kind of two, three, five system, mm-hmm. um, which gives that solidity in the middle. But yeah, it feels like it's, it's kind of all coming together for city. They still don't have the striker. They still, they still don't really have somebody who's making those runs in behind, which I do slightly worry about in terms of breaking down teams sometimes. But I switch between thinking they don't need one at all because the system works so well without one, an actual bonafide striker uh, to thinking that they definitely 100% need one because they're not making late runs. Actually, Alan Shearer put together a lovely bit of analysis and match the day one. No, that's impossible because it was yesterday. Yeah. When did he do it? Hmm. I've seen him do something about something else. Someone okay. else. Right. I liked it. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. That sounds good. <laughs> but there was something to do with this uh, not having a striker. Was he a match the day two? I don't remember what I watched. He was. He was match 32 and he uh, pointed out how the certain runs that he would look for as a striker mm. and the ones that City players aren't making because they don't have that lethal... Well, there, there were a couple cut, uh, of instances where, where Foden, rather than playing... Sorry, rather than carrying the ball into a dangerous area, played it into the channel between the fullback and the centre-back. Mm. I think it was twice that sprung to mind in the first half and no one made the diagonal for a City player right to left run to pick that ball up. Um, and you could see Foden was quite annoyed by that. He did the arms in front of him. Oh yeah, you know, that's like one of the examples. Empty bread basket oh, thing. 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I guess maybe if you've got somebody that makes those runs, the, the other, the only other concern I would have is that if you've got players that are persistently looking to drop off, particularly centrally, then you're only asking the opposition centre backs to move in one direction, which is towards you, towards the ball. And yes, that leaves space in behind and, and players can make diagonal runs in, into that space. But it is sometimes helpful to to try and, say, split the centre-backs by making a, a run from right to left or to get the centre-back going back on a diagonal towards the goalkeeper because that causes penalty box area issues. Mm. You know, the positioning between goalkeepers and defenders can become complicated by that. And City don't really have those movements. Um, so... I don't know, maybe that'll be an issue in other games. I feel like we've not really mentioned Liverpool yet. We just sum them up. They were bad in the first half, apparently. Jurgen Klopp didn't like them, and then they were much better in the second, and they were Salah and Manny were excellent. Yeah, I think I think the, the point that Klopp made in a quite a, an open tactical interview after the game um, was that, that Liverpool were not defending the half spaces aggressively enough to stop those late runs from Liverpool. They, they were, sorry, from City. They were kind of conflicted in terms of who they were picking up and that caused them to be a bit more hesitant than Klopp would like. And it was very clear after half time that he had obviously instructed them, I'm sure in a very caring and uh, nonetheless assertive manner that they really needed to, you know, push up a little bit more and, and, and make the space theirs. And of course that then helps them maintain a higher defensive line and, and have a more aggressive press and counter press anyway so it worked and he made the game fun because that game is really I was what I'd watch that game every week if I could yeah I'll tell you about a game that I wouldn't watch every week oh, after the break oh <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we're back. Manchester United 1-1 Everton. Uh, on the notes here, I think Joe's written this before he succumbed to whatever illness he has. Um, Solskjaer, should he be there? I put it to you, Alex Stewart. Oh, well, you do. You and I are going to potentially disagree on this, aren't we? Because I think I you, you quite like him. I don't. I, I feel like he gets a hard time, but I think there's a certain limit to when I can even back him up. Yeah, I, I suppose. Okay, there are a few positive aspects here for me. Um, I think Aaron Wambasaka looked, particularly in the first half, quite good aggressively. Um, there were a couple of nice carries past players. He's better, he's better than people say he is, Wambasaka, going forward. I, I think he's good at going forwards. I don't think he's good at passing forwards. I think that's the problem. He's, he's good at being there. Just. He's good at he's good at beating men, and he's good at crossing. Mm -hmm. And a couple of his crosses were really nice. Um, the issue is is him as a progressive passing outlet. It's quite easy to pick up Man United's other players, leave the ball with Wan Bissaka, and, and know that he's not really going to do anything particularly penetrative with it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was also interesting to see McTominay in that, and this is something that Joe's talked about before, um, that McTominay looks much more dangerous the further forwards he gets. Like he played some nice stuff around the edge of the box. I think he's an attacking player. 
Have I been seen forever? He kind of is. Yeah. Like, I agree with that. And it, it was weird because... He's not a defender. I think he gets characterized defensively because he's energetic and he's hardworking. He's and, tall and, and big. he's tall and big and he makes a real effort to cover the ground and occasionally puts in a, a sort of like sliding tackle that Meaty gets everyone's. Yeah, yeah, people like that, right? They're like, oh yeah, spirit of Roy Keane. But actually <laughs> what yeah. you've got there when Roy Keane is, retired, McTominay was created. That's what, right. That's what yes, happened. it was a it's like the 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 karmic it's like in Football Manager when the player thing. retires and then the regen comes through as them. Yes. Except not, because he's not the same He's not the at same. all. Um, this is a bad analogy. But he kind of feels a little bit more, to me, like a Marwan Fellaini figure in that because of his physical attributes, you expect him to be something. Exactly. Whereas actually, he's not that thing. He's, he's better with these quick one-twos. You don't you don't want him to be the guy who is necessarily controlling the tempo and breaking the lines from deep. He's not Nemanja Matic of five years ago, ten years ago. Um, but if you give him the ball on the turn, he's able to pick out quite nice diagonal passes. If you get him playing quick interchanges and running off the ball, he's going to cause problems higher up the pitch because his physicality naturally draws defenders. And I think. The problem with that is that then leaves Fred scurrying around trying to do eight people's jobs. He definitely scurries. Um, he is a scurrier. Uh, and again, like Fred has really good um, pressing numbers. He's busy. He's energetic. He makes an effort. But even Fred, like when Fred was at Shakhtar, Fred was creative. Fred was like a, you know, he was a further up the pitch linking player who would sometimes drop off to then carry the ball forwards. But again, as the world and their whoever, whatever, have been saying, Man United just need a legit defensive midfielder. Do you know who McTominay might actually remind me of? Aaron Ramsey. Interesting. In a box-to-box kind of way. Do you know who also reminds me of Aaron Ramsey? Who's that? Brighton's Alexis McAllister, but only because they look the same. Oh, they they do look the same. They really look the same. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. They're not the same, though. They're not. Um, okay, so let's stay on this game a little bit. Uh, we didn't actually answer the question, no, the question. we? Well, I think the, the point to be, like, why Solskjaer's getting dug out for this one is he made loads of changes. Put Anthony Martial on. Uh, Ronaldo didn't start. Mm. He was not happy at the end, as you probably wouldn't be if you're Ronaldo and you lose. Well, you don't lose. You draw with Everton. Basically, it didn't work. Uh, they did the same thing they keep doing in dropping the tempo in the second half and allowing the opposition team in. Uh, I can't tell if it's a problem of players' mentalities dipping and not being quite the winners they're supposed to be. How can they not be when you've got all those players? There's like a that? really weird thing with United and the mentality, which is sometimes it looks like they're almost waiting to go behind, particularly against stronger teams, and yeah. then they rouse themselves and play like good football. And and the it's very obvious it almost doesn't need saying, but in some of their attacking talent, they have players that are capable of just producing moments of brilliance, either individually or in tandem with lovely little touches and quick layoffs and pass and move. That kind of instinctive football that almost isn't coachable, but it's just a result of having really good attacking players. Or they do this thing where they look, they go a goal up, then they start to play with some confidence and some swagger. And it was after they went up that they, you know, McTominay was 
push or after they got their goal, McTominay was pushing forwards and getting into dangerous areas and doing that stuff. And then it's almost like if that doesn't work and result in another goal, they start going, oh, okay, what now? And it, and it, then they drop off. So it feels like there's no game state that United can be in where they're entirely comfortable. <laughs> that makes sense. Is my point. A sort of antithesis to that, good word. Nice. Uh, I would say is exemplified within the Takure's performance. Oh, I mean, he was Full just energy. outstanding. Yeah, he's so good. I think a long time ago, I thought, I think it was when he was at Watford, I thought he'd be a good signing for United yeah. in the midfield as a box-to-box kind of He's a, He's a legit number eight in that way, isn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, he covers the area between both boxes really, really well. Seb has always been very, very hot on him as a player too. Um, and I think... I think he has that energy. I think in in him and Alan next to each other, you have a very very complementary midfield pivot. You know, Alan does the the dog work. He's scrappy. He's a bit unpleasant, but he's not crap on the ball. He he's can a good pass player, it. No, I like him a lot. And Dukure has a bit of ball carrying, good enough passing, but also weighs in with the energy and and makes these distracting runs from deep. Um, and that just allows Everton to have this platform from which they can build otherwise. I mean, Everton are looking like a good side, you know, and you they've reckon? got, I think so. I can't tell. Yeah. I, I, I think, well, I mean, what can we tell about any team at this stage of the season, right? That's always the caveat with these discussions before about game 15. I think, well, we, like, we know Norwich are relegated and we know that Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea are going to rival the title. Sure. Yes. Okay. Right. But beyond that, I don't know. I, I, the small sample size song plays in my head every time we say something. Well, there's so many teams like this that like Everton now put them in the same bracket as like Spurs and Villa. It's kind of Arsenal even. You, you can't tell. They could finish anywhere between 6th and 15th. Yeah, I think I think we, you can see with Everton that there is a structure and a plan with the way they play. Um, more so than you can sometimes with those other sides you've cited. Yes. And I think the the, the difference there, again, is the degree to which individual quality is sufficient to carry you across the line versus system like Everton's squad on paper is not as good as some of those other squads you've mentioned Everton don't have a single player of Harry Kane's caliber for example but if they have a plan and they have players that are doing what they're doing well and you have a rejuvenated Andros Townsend and you have Damari Gray playing this free role which is very exciting Luca Dean overlapping on the left-hand side, defenders that can weigh in with set-piece goals. Like, where does that leave you comparative to the teams who have less structure and less identity, but maybe have some individuals of greater overall quality? Yeah. Um, there's a clear structure to it, and the team seems quite well-balanced. And I think you saw later on when you had Pogba, Sancho, Ronaldo, <laughs> Fernandez, Greenwood... I mean, that's McTominay as the holding player yeah. in a team and he's still getting beyond the last line to get into the box. Yeah. That's vibes. It's complete vibes. That's pure vibes. Yes. But yes. that often works, vibes. When, you've, when you're at home at Old Trafford or something like that and you're just getting it in. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, we've got, we've got Man United to a degree. You've got PSG as well. That, this idea of clubs kind of, if we just assemble a really Gucci attacking line, then it sort of doesn't matter <laughs> what else is happening because we'll be able to obliterate our way past most teams. And then the antithesis of that is is sides that are 
Thank you. God, we're both on fire today, huh? I did say it before. Oh, oh, did you? Oh, no, you did, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I was more praising myself. Okay, right. Yeah, I'm just borrowing off you. Not um, it's uh, the, the the teams that have both really good caliber of, you know, not just attacking players, also defensive players, but but have a bit more structure and a bit more system. They're always going to be the ones that win, right? Because you can't just... But then I thought, but then Man City lost to PSG. <laughs> Yeah, but they shouldn't have done. I know, and I know, I know that sounds like a like classic kind of XG nerd thing to say, but I mean, this is why analyzing football is inherently stupid, right? Because it's uh, yes, it's a low-scoring game. There's a lot of luck involved. Stuff just happens. It's also why it's quite fun. Is that you, the thing that should happen doesn't a lot of the time? Right. Yeah. No, that is. Is that fun? I don't know. That leaves me with a feeling of deep existential uncertainty. I don't know. Let's talk about existential uncertainty uh, slightly after we do this, because I suppose Arsenal are sort of having one of those, aren't they? Mm. Uh, and Brighton nil nil Arsenal. Um, they were they were all saying Arsenal were fixed. Oh, Arteta's got the plan now. They said when they beat Spurs. Yeah, do you remember them saying that? I do remember them saying that. And all do you remember of a what happened ago. when they played against an actually good team in Brighton, and they were just. Kept. Did they have a single shot in the box? I think they had two all they game or something. They had three, but they had one in the first minute, and I think the other two were after like 75. Yeah. Yeah, they had a whole stretch where their major attacking threat was Thomas Partey trying to blow holes in the stadium wall from just outside <laughs> <laughs> the edge of the area. Um, yeah, I, I don't, do that. I don't yeah. know, Arsenal. I really don't know. I mean, it, it was quite interesting. I saw... On Twitter, a lot of the conversation from some Arsenal fans was, God, Brighton are good. Obviously, we didn't look that great against them. And They're then, so well coached. And then a lot of other Arsenal fans going, you can't just say it's because Brighton were good. We're also rubbish. So, See, there's people being seen to me in uh, DMs and just out loud on Twitter that they think I hate Arsenal. I don't hate Arsenal at all. In fact, my dad really likes Arsenal. That's his team. But I just find it like... They're so predictably, what's the word? Uh, predictably unpredictable. They are really inconsistent. They turn up to games acting like they're going to stroll it and then they get quickly found out and they mm. don't have... It's like the structure is there, but they don't actually know how to do it. They don't. So they have the instructions, but they can't fulfill them. Like they're 40% downloaded. And so it's all, it's not an HD yet. It's. I, I think, I, but I, I also wonder if this is a, a, a construct of... Having a coach in Mikel Arteta who has quite clearly stated the style of football that he wants to play. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at what's happening and, and inferring that, oh, they they have been told what to do. They just can't quite do it yet. May, and, and we infer that because we've been told that they've been told because Arteta has this clear style of play. <laughs> and in fact, <laughs> what it results in is a mishmash of weird things where I don't know you've got I mean yes okay we'll talk about Brighton in a bit but Brighton were able to counter press or press and counter press them so effectively because the way particularly in the first half that Lukonga was dropping off into that left sided centre back slot where it would have been Granite Xhaka before mm -hmm. which they do so that Tierney can push right up to the right, left wing exactly the but it, yeah. it, it wasn't working because Lukonga's predominantly right footed so you've straight away got an issue where that he can't play up the line if he gets pressed in a certain way. 
if you curve your pressing run round from his left, then you're going to force him back inside. And then straight away, you've got a pressing opportunity there. We know that Neil Morpé will press all day long. Trossard's really good at it too. It just seemed like, like there was a plan that I, like Arsenal blueprint 101 is we will do this thing every time. But they don't then go, oh, actually, the guy who's supposed to be doing that today doesn't really have a left foot. So maybe if, if he drops between the centre-backs and Gabriel, who is left-footed moves out to that slot, then, hey, that, that seems so much easier to solve it. It's like, it's like they're stuck in a thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it could have worked and we'd be saying, oh, that's a great little idea, but I just find so much of it seems almost overly thought out. Like, I obviously, we cannot see what training sessions look like. Don't know mm. exactly what Arteta's saying to them, so we don't know for certain. And I don't doubt that Arteta knows exactly what he's talking about. He's talked of very highly with people like Guardiola. Yeah. Uh, and clearly knows his, Ken's his tatties, as I would say at home. Sure. But that means knows his potatoes. But uh, they just have so little to them. And I would say Graham Potter looks... If, I think if Graham Potter had the players that Arteta has, they would be playing better football than they are just now, I think. But this then might bring me on to... Yeah, we, I don't know. I don't move straight on from Brighton, but one of the next things we've got on our list is, is talking about um, Aberdeen and Celtic, which I know is not... Uh, not everyone will have seen this but there's an interesting parallel I think between sort of Arsenal and Aberdeen at the moment and that on Celtic even actually in that they've all got new managers in well Arteta's less new but Aberdeen went from being a very so Aberdeen lost to Celtic 2-1 at home on the weekend that's what happened uh, and Celtic this is one of the worst Celtic teams I've seen play at Pataudry they're clearly in in a mix of they're not they're trying to play an expansive attacking kind of football as well. They're trying to have underlapping fullbacks uh, and Postacoglu's trying to do a very clear thing. And they can't win away from home. And what I'm trying to say with the parallel of it is that Aberdeen are similarly trying to change their style of football. They've gone from being very defensive, uh, huge gaps between the defenders and the strikers. There's a lot of vertical space. And so the ball is getting shunted long, trying to follow up on a second ball, very agricultural, I would have said. Then they look for a foul and they go from there. They want to play counter-attack, but they can't because they've got some of the best players. So teams they play against sit back, so there's no space to counter-attack. So it just turns into a mishmash of awfulness. But the new manager, Stephen Glass, has come in. You might remember from playing for such teams as Newcastle. Uh, and he's come in and tried to make it this modern style of play where it's a 4-4-2 in defence. That becomes a 4-3-3 when they attack. And they try and play this more progressive, attacking, possession-based thing. But they keep losing games because of individual error. And at what point is it the coach's fault for trying to introduce a system the players can't play? At what point does, like Arteta, if a player lets him down, is it because his instructions aren't clear enough or because the player isn't good enough or is it the wrong system? Don't really know what my question is, but I'd like it if you could bail me out of this. Okay, so a good example here would be Mark Cucurella, who was the left wing back for Brighton. Yes. And formed an incredibly great and exciting partnership with Dan Byrne, the behemoth who looks like he should not even be a centre-back, but like probably a lock in, a in rugby or something. <laughs> um, and Cucurella is, like, he's a wildly energetic player and he wants to pop up everywhere. But um, somebody observed on Twitter, and I'm kind of trying to remember who it was, one of the mics, um, that he was a, a much, he is now a much more progressive passer for Brighton than he ever was particularly at Hatafe, which clearly plays a much more kind of um, counter-attacking defence-based system. 
So I don't, I don't know whether that's good recruitment that they spot that he has the ability to do this or whether it's good coaching, but clearly there is a player who has certain facets of his game remaining the same as he moves to a new club, which is the energy, the willingness to run, the ability to pop up in slightly unorthodox positions for a left back, left wing back. But he's also adapted to a new style of play very, very quickly. That to me says that's good coaching. And yes, also an adaptable and intelligent player who's willing to put the effort in and learn these new things. But you don't take a player who's very used to playing one system and overnight turn them into somebody who does really well in a different thing, unless you're a damn good coach. Well, this is the thing. Which Graham Potter clearly is. Exactly. And it seems to take some players an awful lot of time to get certain things out of the system. If they've been taught to, um, I mean, BLC at Leeds is always man-to-man with the marking system across the pitch. It's not a mixed, always man-to-man. And there's certain principles that are always in, in place here. So if you take a player out of that man-to-man system, then suddenly they need to learn how to play in a, like a zonal or a mixed structure, which most managers play a mixed. And so natural things you might have been doing for the past two years just coded into you are certainly not there. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, and, and you get players like, like Ralph Hasenhutl talking about automatizations. You know, the idea that you rehearse movements in relation to the ball, the space, your teammates and the opposition, the kind of Arrigo Saki for like variables in football, you rehearse those things until the point where you stop needing to think because the game happens at such a pace at the top level. And that's, again, going back to what we were saying about Liverpool and City. Oh, it's a callback. Boom, 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 right? The structure of this. Oh, it's, it's almost like we've planned it. We haven't. Um, kind of. But it's... You have to be able to do those things almost at a speed that is kind of outside of normal human processing because the ball moves so fast, your opponents move slightly less fast, you probably move slightly less fast in in response to that because you're reacting to something else. So unless you have that as a kind of inbuilt, rehearsed, repetitive system... There's too much information to take in. You know, the best players are able to do these things almost instinctively, except it's not instinct because it's been learned and patterned. And the adaptation from one system to another, this is why when you look at buying players and you think, okay, well, so-and-so's like a legit great striker, he gets 20 goals a season. And you think, okay, yeah, but how? What? What's the system? What are the other players doing to make space for him? What are the runs that he's making in response to certain kind of passes? It's why you can't just pick up a world-class player, dump them in another team and expect them to do really well. Um, I've got a really good way to segue onto the last bit of this podcast. I know, I set you up for that, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, first... (laughs) But first, we're going to have a break. So as we were just talking about, we're comparing Mikel Arteta and Graham Potter and Stephen Glass and Ange Postacoglu and Ralph Hasenhuttle, all in one neat little basket. Uh, one of the things I've noticed with like Celtic and Aberdeen and Arsenal is that as well as you want to make a team play and uh, stick to the principles that you like of attacking progressive football and trying to squeeze the opposition team, pass it quickly, keep the tempo up, you know, to play nice football, basically, play fun football. It's entertaining to watch. You still fundamentally have to win battles. It's quite a physical game. It's not... Mm this old school, like, you've got to kick people. But you sort of do in a way, you've got to win individual battles, especially I think the Scottish football. And you see it clearly with Aberdeen not winning key, like individual aerial duels and 
defensive positioning, stuff like that. Just you have to be a bit hard. And that leads me on to the last game we're going to talk about, which is uh, Rennes de Nürburgring. Uh, yeah. So, so we have one of the. This is a cheat squad. This is like Football Manager come to life. PSG are finally doing what they do in Football Manager when they buy all the best players they possibly can. They just pick the ones they want. They put them all in the same squad, and it looks like there's no possible way they can't win everything. That's one of the best teams on paper I have ever seen. The lineup for this game. It goes from like Donnarumma, Hakimi, uh, Marquinhos. All, all the lads are there. All the top lads are there. But they lost 2-0. Mm. What's happening? Um, so what's happening? Is it a thing about battles? It, I'm not sure that it is entirely about battles. I think, I think there's a degree to which, like PSG have got, they've got quite a spiky spine. I mean, Verratti, <laughs> Verratti likes his battles, right? And Adrissa Gay likes I'm, I'm his battles. I'm picturing a human, like a skeleton, like a dinosaur now, like a... What's one with uh, Stegosaurus has got spiky back? Uh, Stegosaurus got the, the sort of like plates on the back, aren't they? Um, a Stegosaurus is one of the sort of large cow-like ones that has a, um, a little tail with like a ball of spikes on the end of it, I think. I might mm. be wrong here. I, I don't think. know. I, I'm not great on my paleontology. Mm. Sorry. Some some dinosaurs have spikes in the back. Okay. Don Don's shaking his head. Does it not? He's, he's going on the back. There's yeah. a plates in the back. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Don. Um, and yeah, so so you've got Verratti. He's a dinosaur. Gay's a dinosaur. Marquinhos, kind of. You know, there, there, there is a physicality there. Mm. I think what the problem is that you have, you have tactical imbalance. If you're trying to get all of these great players on, so, you know, the front four that they lined up with was... Uh, Di Maria, Messi in the 10 slot, Neymar wide left and Mbappe up front. Behind that, you've got Verratti as a right-sided central midfielder in the double pivot with Gay. There's a lot of people... There's a lot of attacking players There's in the a lot same of people thing. wanting to occupy one another's spaces. And if you look at... I'm trying to think. I don't know. Okay, really basic example. Harry Kane dropping off a defensive line to make room for Song Hyun Min to run in behind they're not trying to occupy each other's spaces. There is an understanding of I move here, you move there. Like it's quite basic, but it works because those are very good players. There were moments within that game where PSG were able to connect in a that kind of instinctive way that we talked about with Manchester United, because if you have world-class players, occasionally they'll do world-class things, irrespective of what's going on. Yeah. Generally, it seemed like those involved in Bappi getting in behind... Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and Di Maria was was quite good at that as well. But what you don't have is the sense that that there is a cohesive tactical plan that allows for all of them to do what they're good at doing. And so you've got different players wanting to occupy the same sort of spaces, but in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. So a good example of this would be Messi dropping off into the deep right half space in order to kind of stroll around, collect the ball, and then do those sudden burst pass and moves that he likes doing, where he'll hold off for a second and then accelerate. Uh, But also Verratti wants to be there in order to play progressive passes up through the center. Also Di Maria wants to be there to play those switch reverse passes with his left foot, angling the ball wide out to Neymar to then run inside. And Boski and Verratti 
like to win the ball back yeah. and they leave their position specifically to do that as part of the, the press. Particularly Verratti. Verratti will press and we saw this with Italy in the, and the Euro as well. As well. The numbers show it, they don't do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and and so the, the two Ren goals, one of them comes from the fact that, that Di Maria's kind of pulled inside uh, initially as part of an attacking move and then to try and kind of shore up the centre. Messi's strolling around <laughs> like he does and the whoever is playing on the left-hand side for Ren can just basically run into like acres of space and cross the ball. Well, they're switching the play the a lot. Side. It's really smart tactics from Ren. Absolutely. And it's, it's also helped by Pochettino who's always liked to play this very narrow shape out of possession. Yeah. So what he's doing now is playing essentially a 4-2-3-1 but the forward three it's so Di Maria will come back sometimes. Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe—they don't do an awful lot of stuff off the ball. Neymar yeah. sometimes comes back. Neymar, yeah, Neymar did yeah. a little bit more than I thought he would actually. He's done that for quite a while. It's yeah. weird when you look at his numbers in FB Ref and stuff. He actually does quite a bit, but not as anywhere. I mean, when I say quite a bit, I mean, yeah, like sure, uh, yeah. These other like guys don't do anything, but kind of part of the tactic so they can counterattack with it. But then you're you're left with the back four in, the, in a line with a two, which is going to be Verratti and Gay, and then Di Maria is maybe coming back. So it's very easy to outnumber them, mm. especially in wide areas. And mm. so they just switch to play. And this is something that a lot of teams did against Liverpool when they were playing quite narrow and they've changed the way they defend a little bit now. But then you switch to play, get the ball in the box, and then they're not winning the little battle that they should do. Yeah. The weird thing about this game, and uh, having not watched the whole thing, just the highlights and we're talking about it yesterday, it feels very much like, again, in our video game analogy, to bring us right back to the beginning, like in Football Manager, when you're playing a, a game for ages and you have all the best players, wonder kids exclusively from South America and you don't even have to change your tactics from game to game you can just hit space all the time go into the game change around to freshen them up and you should win every single game but you never get a season unbeaten because you always lose some silly like you lose to Kilmarnock 1-0 or something with your Aberdeen team that's one of three Champions Leagues Pochettino is now he's a manager who likes to defend by aggressively pressing being compact and relying on utilising space you create by doing that with players who will not do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's trying to be the best manager he can be in a system a style that he just doesn't, I've never seen him do before. No. And and the other thing is that, that one of the things that, that Tuchel did with, with PSG was he, he basically facilitated the counterattacking ability of, of particularly Neymar and, and Bappe mm-hmm. by creating quite a lot of space between the midfield line and the forward line, not really asking the forward line to do an awful lot. And this is whether he was playing with a back four or a back five. So that those players had the time and space to carry the ball into, and then somebody might make a supporting run to get with them. But again, what you've got now is a lot of players who actually want to, you know, if if Messi wants to come inside into the kind of 10 slot so that, partly so that Hakimi can overlap on the right, which does look like a really effective way of playing for PSG. And we saw that against City. But you can't have all of these players high up and in that space unless you are either going to counter-press the hell out of the side that you're playing against, like an old Spurs Pochettino would have done, Mm -hmm. or you're actually going to drop your midfield off and have at least two ball winners in there, like Herrera and Gay, and go, okay, it's fine. We won't counter-press necessarily. What we'll do is we'll let the ball get into a more deep midfield area, then we'll press and win it back quickly, and then we'll unleash the forwards. But they're not, they can't do either of those two things 
because the forward line won't press enough and there are too many players that want to be in that space yeah. around the sort of the top of the 10 spot. Like, And do you know what, like Neymar, uh, Messi and Suarez worked. I mean, Messi was a bit younger, obviously, so he'd, maybe, he still didn't do any anything off the ball, really, when he's played wide right there anyway, and he had the overlapping right back still. But it worked for Barcelona when it was Luis Enrique playing that counter-attacking system. But they didn't then also have the Di Maria coming in there to make it the front four, like mm. a diamond shape with a four. It's just, it, that's a difficult thing to manage for Pochettino because you can't leave Di Maria out. You're one of the most important players of the last... Yeah. I mean, they, were, they reached the Champions League final with that kind yeah. of team in place. But the, again, this is the thing. You, you have, I mean, Messi... I can't remember if it was nil-nil or one-nil when it happened, but Messi hit the crossbar yeah. with a beautiful free kick. They had good kick. chances, PSG, as well. This is a, it's a weird game, losing 2 nil because were, there, there were also, there were moments where, like, the, at one point I remember there was a bouncing ball. Uh, name, uh, Mbappe had kind of dragged it through a couple of players. Then there was a bit of a rebound, and Mbappe and Neymar both go for the same ball, and Neymar connects, and Mbappe's about to kind of hit it. And yeah, and it's like... Obviously, that happens from time to time anyway, but it seems symptomatic of those sorts of problems. Like, you've either got to make a decision about here is our structure and some of these players aren't going to play, or there's no structure and we'll just try and overwhelm them through sheer force of, yeah. of vibes. And you've got, you've got, <laughs> you can't just rely on vibes all the way through a season. No. And PSG, I think it's like they turn up for these games in League uh, uh, knowing that they are miles better than any other league on a team that's ever been there in history. Yeah. And so they should win, but that doesn't win you games. What wins you games is battles. Yes. Structure. Yes. Tactics, not vibes. I agree. I'm As I've said before, I'm all here for the structured defensive 4-4-2 and zero vibes. This has been quite good talking about lots of tactics. Eh. Yeah, not it? Um, not tactics, but Ibrahim Singari scored an absolute peach. I just wanted to get that in. I yeah. just, yeah. So well done to you, Rimson Gary. It's a yeah. lovely goal. Took He's, it past one player, squared up another one, pinged it into the top right-hand corner. Just lovely. Some boy. My defensive midfielder. He may or may not appear on some um, some merchandise that Tifo may or may not be uh, doing. Mm? Mm. Stay tuned for that. Mm. Um, and I think that's a nice way to end on Ibrahim Sangari. So uh, thank you very much for... Uh, Talking about tactics, because I like that, Alex. Thanks. Uh, that's that's what I'm here for, apparently. That's what you're paid to do. So, <laughs> cool. Uh, that's all from us. And uh, I think Joe will be back next week, as long as he hasn't died. I don't think he'll die. He's absolutely fine. Okay, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely time. Athletic.